What is up, guys? Welcome to the MMA on Point Wednesday live chat. You haven't seen me in a couple weeks because I've been out in London trying to look at studio spaces, trying to look at apartments very unsuccessfully. Actually, I do think we found a studio. We're very, very close to getting a studio. But uh, yeah, I'm back. I still haven't had a haircut, so I'm wearing a lovely hat. No Lego hair today, so things have changed. Hopefully, it'll be different by next week. And then I'm here with my friend who's been holding it down. How have things been without me, Pizzi? How you doing? I am. It's been amazing. We all collectively realized how much Jake Paul means to combat sports while you went. And we've closed that conversation, so we don't want to hear anything you have to say about that. That's just done. It's a fact now. What else happened? We got annoyed with you for keep on making us talk about one event we knew nothing about. That was difficult. <laughs> um, but yeah, other than that, we, we missed you very much, Jason, of course. Man, yeah. And congratulations on stopping the Super League happening in England. Well done. And you vaccinated 70% of the population over there. That's, that's incredible. You know, uh, I also brought the sunny weather with me. It was sunny the entire time I was there. Not a drop of rain. Uh, actually it was oddly strange. Everybody kept telling me that the weather was never that way and it was sunny the whole time. But then the last day we got, we got shit on pretty hard going to the pubs was weird. Like going out and yeah, like you could go to the pubs, but you had to be outside Like here in the States. They don't give a shit about the elderly population whatsoever. They were just like, yeah, you can drink inside no matter where you want to go. So that was really strange because it wasn't that cold. But if you're on like 30 something degree weather, which is, you know, around like zero degrees Celsius, if you're on that for like two or three hours, then it adds up because it does get that cold here in Tennessee. But yeah, it was strange, man. Uh, It was awesome, though. It was so much fun. Like, I can't wait to go back. Like, it feels weird being back in Tennessee for a couple of weeks. feels really weird. Yeah. It's it's an amazing spot. Um, It's a different kind of cold, though, than you probably get over there. It's that wet cold. Do you know, like, mm. <laughs> once it gets into you, it's very hard to get rid of it when you're sitting outside, like, at midnight. You know what I mean? It was really windy, too, man. Like, a lot of wind tunnels, because you're just... I mean, I'm sure people in New York or, like, L.A. or Chicago know what that's like, but not in Tennessee. <laughs> but what's up, guys? Uh, let me know if everything's sounding okay. Actually, so Lawton is quarantining right now he does not have covid but somebody in his household does so he's playing it safe he's trying to make sure that you know he doesn't infect the general population so lot is not here today so everyone's just gonna leave in droves they're like what do we do without Lawton? um and i apologize for that now but he should be hopefully back next week it just kind of depends on what the situation is like uh with his household by then so lawton if you're watching what's up man appreciate you you got a lot of work to do behind the scenes now so screw you got him suck it been working his balls off though right he has been on a mad one in terms of getting stuff out there uh we released the latest on point prospects yesterday with daniel zell huber who fights on friday he's 10 and 0 and the golden boy they call him and Kaposa's corner right is that today or is it already up yeah, that's today. So that'll go up four hours after we're done with this. Usually somewhere around 10 p.m. GMT, my time, 4 p.m., 5 p.m. Eastern time. Too many time zones, but you get the point. So, yeah, he did that yesterday, and then he'll be helping out with the you know the social media and stuff like that. Usually he clips out stuff, so I'll still make sure he, he does some work, you know. <laughs> Kaposa's corner is my, um, my favorite, I have to say. I love it. I love it. I love it. Uh making myself feel like the hardcore I want to be just like Kaposa himself. I'm always like, now that I've seen this, I'm basically him, you know? Dude, it's insane how much that dude watches every week. I can't get over it, but 
Anyhow, see, I, I am actually seeing a dip in views, son of a bitch. Anyhow, so <laughs> let's go ahead and jump over to the Kumite. So we're going to do this a bit differently this week. So the idea that Kaposa's Corner, or Kaposa's Corner, that's what we used to do on here. Kumite Crunch, the idea of Kumite Crunch is that we go through a bunch of topics and kind of give our quick thoughts and then we start diving through it a little bit more. I actually like the way that you guys have been doing it lately, where you'll just kind of get out your quick thoughts and you'll kind of expand on it. I actually really like that. So maybe we'll go with that. But today we'll do it a bit differently because there is no lot to read it off. So instead of me <laughs> reading it and then me potentially answering first, I think we'll just go with you first after I read it and then I'll give my answer after yours. So, oh, and I'm just showing you on camera instead of me while I'm talking. So, hey, there Sorry. I am. There I am. See, I can't, I can't do it. I can't do it on my own. Lot, we need you. Apologies. But yeah. So let's jump right into this first one. Uh, all right, so pulling it up. So there are a lot of fights again this week. I mean, it's been just an absolute onslaught of cards. So this week is no different. We've got PFL, we got Bellator back, and the UFC, of course, are having fights this weekend despite some heartbreaking cancellations. My God, did we have some bad cancellations. We do still have some banger fights. What fight are you most excited about and Why? Let me get you queued up here. Let me move my mouse around. Let me talk about it as I do it. And where is that timer? Oh, that timer's up here. So you ready, bro? Yes, absolutely. All right. Three, two, one. Very clever. All right. Oh, no. I right clicked. There we go. <laughs> yeah, I am. I was really looking forward to Bellator 258 before. Obviously, it lost an awful lot of fights. It was actually going to be one of the most significant dates Irish MMA had in a major promotion probably since McGregor's featherweight run because we're meant to have James Gallagher v. Patchy Mix. We're meant to have Brian Moore on the card too, a brilliant bantamweight. We still have Patricky Pitbull v. Peter Queeley and that's a hugely important fight for Queeley. He's a guy that's really earned his spot at the top of these divisions but has been missing that clinical victory to really get him into the title mix. I think Patricky 100% does that. Um... Honestly, I'm looking forward to Canelo Alvarez v. Billy Joe Saunders more than anything this weekend. <laughs> but wow. um, you know, I'm I'm I am looking forward to see Vojcavallo, uh, Fabrizio Verdum at uh, the PFL. Um, I'm not not jumping up and down about the UFC card to be honest, but um, yeah, there is some great cards on it. Can't wait for it. Neil v. Magny in particular. Wow. All right. Well, um, way to sell us out for boxing there. Way to sell us out. By the way, Sorry, I did I forget. Oh. What's that? It's all Jake Paul's influence on me. <laughs> <laughs> he changed the game. By the way, I did forget to give a shout out to Venom just in all the hubba blue. Hubba blue? It's hubba blue? I don't know. I forget how you say the word. Who cares? I want to give a shout out to Venom because they are a sponsor. I'll move that out of the way just a bit. Wearing the gear right now. 10% off on their website. Just use the code. Link in the description. Definitely want to give them a shout out because they do make things a lot better for us around here. And... They sell awesome stuff. But yeah, so um, thanks for selling us out there. And then I'll go ahead and jump into my take. Let's see. We'll this is restart. The fight game, bro. What's that? I said, this is the fucking fight game, bro. <laughs> the fucking fight game, bro. It's 2009 Affliction Clothing. That's what it is. <laughs> All right. So yeah, so obviously we've had a lot of cancellations this week. It's been pretty rough to see so many things go by the wayside. But I think the one I'm still the most ex excited about is Diego Fajaya 
versus Gregor Gillespie. I think it's one of those fights where these guys are coming off some losses, some tough losses, especially Gregor Gillespie's, but I'm just really excited to see the guy back. I still feel like they could be at the top of the division at any moment. Um, there are some other great fights happening all throughout, and we'll get a chance to talk about Verdum. Of course, Kayla Harrison is going to be the favorite to win again this year. Um, I'm not too excited about the main event. Why is Michelle Watterson fighting at 125, and why is she even ranked at number nine there? This is the first time she's ever fought there, to my knowledge. Um, and there are some obviously great fights. MVP this weekend in Bellator. Um, uh, of course, we've got Juan Archuleta versus Sergio Pettis. We got some great fights going on there. Still, the return of Rumble Johnson. But I have to put the most interesting fight for the division: Diego Fajaya versus our boy here. What's his name? Gregor Gillespie. Is that a good ending? Is that a good ending? <laughs> I just Twice felt like time. I was Twice rattling time. on too many things. I just tapered off big time at the end of it. Um, yeah, it's it's a great fight now. Like I, I think particularly like Bellator two five eight should have been one of the best main cards they put on this year. Unfortunately, without Yoel, it, it's a bit of a killer. Mm. But we still get Paige. We still get uh, Queenie v Patricky. Like this is all part of that SBG Pitbull Brothers beef. Like this is the fight everybody kind of wanted in that situation. It's nearly like the catalyst for the whole thing was Queely, Carvalho, and and to a lesser extent, Gallagher, to be honest. But um, Queely and Patricky is the one where we're going to see this come to a head. So that's that's really exciting itself. And we still have Anthony Johnson, who really doesn't have as many excuses now if he loses. Like, I mean, fair enough. Mm. If he had a loss to Yal Romero, everyone was like, well, look, he can still do something. But now everyone's expecting him to come in and look like he did a decade ago, pretty much. So... That's really, really... I think that's put him in a, actually a more awkward situation despite Yoel being one of the most terrifying people in the world. And I'm actually worried about Yoel a bit, to be honest, Jason, because it made no sense him leaving the UFC when he did. And now medical reasons pulls him out at the 11th hour for this Bellator debut. And I'm just hopeful that everything can get sorted and it isn't some underlying issue. Has there been any report as to why he is out of this fight? Like, has there been any determination on wh- why he's been pulled? I was reading the chat. What'd you say? <laughs> I, I was wondering, like, is there any, have they given any reason? Like, what is the medical reason that Yoel cannot compete? Have you heard? Mm. No, I personally have not heard on that one. Maybe somebody in the chat can help us out. If somebody can hit us up with it. Well, isn't that a bit worrying, the, the way the UFC got rid of him at the time they did? Like, when it seemed a bit strange because he'd only been fighting in title mm. fights, fair enough, is... His record over the run wasn't great, but he was still a commodity. And then he, out of nowhere, he goes to Bellator. And now on the week of his debut, he's pulled up because of medical issues. Like, I mean, I don't know. I hope I hope everything's all right. I love watching Yoel. Even when he doesn't put on the most exciting fights, I think he's a really captivating dude. But that's, that's one thing that I was going to scratch my head about when I heard the news. Yeah, so the good news is it doesn't look like it's anything serious. You know, I think of Rashad Evans when he was having heart issues and he was failing a couple medicals back-to-back. But it looks like it's an issue with his eye. So I doubt it's something permanent. Yeah, it still could. It could be Michael Bisbing. It just turns out he's had a false eye this entire time (laughs) at some point. If a doctor won't clear your eye at that stage and you have no superficial damage to your eye, I mean, that's not a good sign, right? Ooh. Yeah, that could be rough. I mean, that, like that could definitely change bang, it. If you can't see a knock, like if you can't see like a hematoma or something that could be affecting it, like it's like, well, does that mean in six months he's going to be able to pass? You know, mm. I hope he can. Jesus, of course I do. 
even though he's like 43 or whatever, I still think he's well capable of mixing in, in Bellator. Yeah, I mean, I would probably lean towards it being just sort of an injury in training type kind of thing, but uh, some people are saying it could be a sign of brain damage. Zach Batista saying that in the chat. I mean, that seems like a WebMD type kind of situation. <laughs> it's like, oh, hey, uh, I've got a rash on my hand. Oh, it's cancer. It's like, uh, maybe not, maybe not. Maybe you just have a rash <laughs> because you cut yourself and didn't realize it. I mean, who knows, but I would probably lean towards the more kind of prudent position that he most likely just got injured in training. Who knows though? I mean, it's definitely a shock for sure. Nobody saw that coming. I was going to ask you, what do you think of the main event though? It's like, I mean, I've, I've mentioned so many reasons why I'm excited about Bellator 258 without mentioning the bantamweight title fight between Arculeta and Pettis. Um, I think that's a really well-matched fight, first of all. I think Arculeta is criminally underrated mm. and I think Pettis is coming in. Like, he, he obviously believed like from the get-go of Bellator that he could be the champion. But I think Argelette is, I think he's a very tough task, to be honest. Yeah, until he came across Pitbull, I mean, he looked pretty much unstoppable. Um, for me, yeah, I think I'm actually going to take Sergio Pettis on this, though. I thought he's looked spectacular since he's come over to Bellator. And he was looking good before he left the UFC. So I think um, I'm probably going to take him. Maybe that's the old UFC bias. You know, I was just saying over this weekend, we need to learn from this idea we'll talk about that a bit more that, oh yeah, just because they're from and done their organization doesn't mean they're not any good. They're obviously very good. You know, we got Michael Chandler fighting for a title and Neary just destroyed the man that most people last thought beat John Jones the last time that John Jones fought, you know? So, uh, I don't know, but I'm just leaning towards Sergio for some reason. So I do think it's a great main event. I think it's about as good as you can have in the circumstance. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, and look, I, I think, that circumstance, as much as Arcoleta probably doesn't want to hear it, that's why this fight is so important for him. Mm. Because people are going, I know who Sergio Pettis is, I know he's really, really good. Right. And that's his opportunity then to make a statement. Um, I always say this, people often get offended um, when they hear that they're, they're an underdog in a fight, but they should be really relishing the thought of getting the victory because they know it's going to make a far bigger splash if they do it. So, yeah, it could be a star-making moment for him perhaps this weekend. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, well, we'll get a chance to talk about Verdum there. I almost started talking about that one. But oh, yeah. I, know. I wanted to hit them with this. Uh, amazing. <laughs> the fit that Jason found just before we came on is amazing. Yeah, random factoids. Um, so, yeah, let's move it on to the second topic here. Um, so what we have now is one on TNT <laughs> review. So we've had a full month of this just kind of barrage of event after event after event. And they did try to throw... I mean, especially in terms of Western star power, the biggest ones that they possibly could have at us. So that is my question to you then. What do you think? How do you review the last month for one? Rug Rug had an interesting month, didn't he? So, oh my God. Uh, right. He did. All right. You can start now. Oh, um, yeah. I think, first of all, you're bringing this new product into a new market, essentially, because they're primarily based in the East and now they're bringing it to America. And I think to get this, the different rules across and to get the different uh, criteria across is the main thing they need to worry about when they're coming into this market, I believe, because there was a few moments as in the need to DJ. Um, I saw the confusion online. I know everyone after the fact is going, oh, I knew, but I saw a lot of people think it was an illegal knee. And it was the Alvarez situation. 
Um, and now the rug rug situation, of course. But I think they need to make that the focus. Why is this different? Why is is different from the UFC? I think that it really gets complicated when you're putting in different sports on top of that. When you're putting in uh, toy fights, you're putting in kickboxing fights. It's making it all the more difficult to consume the people that might just flick on the occasional UFC event. Um, yeah, I thought they did well. They made their mark, but that's one thing it doesn't really sit well with me. Mm. Yeah, really interesting. Okay, well, I'll go ahead and start with my take here. Yeah, so this one, it was a really interesting month because they started off with that main card. You're like Eddie Alvarez coming out here against a former title challenger. You think this is going to be a banger of a fight, and then it ends almost instantaneously with that weird DQ finish that's now been overturned to a no contest. I mean, it was a really rough start. I do think the finish that DJ had with Marais, you know, of course, winning, doing what no one thought would happen and actually upsetting DJ was pretty great. There were some great moments. Rug Rug looked good the first time. Looked really weird the second time. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, we kind of had the extremes. And I do think that they did put their best foot forward that they possibly could have. Rainier de Ritter coming through and beating Anlan Sang, I think was a huge win for him and I thought it was a really good look for the company to put forth such great fights but at the end of it I wonder how much more of it ends up being a ripple rather than a seismic wave so um, I guess when it comes down to it I think it was a successful month I thought they got some of their awareness I thought they got a little bit more reach out there but I don't think it really made the splash that was intended I think that was in part because of some of the weird strange controversies and I do think it was good putting Rod Tang on uh, you know primetime TV in the US I think a lot of people were turned on to him including myself because I am just a casual at the end of the day when it comes to other sports outside of MMA but yeah I mean it's a mixed review mixed review yeah and and one thing Jay that I think is is always going to be tough, and it's something that one is constantly criticized about. They overturned the Alvarez decision, and I think a lot of people are happy with the conclusion of it. Like, I mean, I think a lot of people are Eddie Alvarez fans, so they're like, yeah, that should be a no contest. I personally didn't agree with the stoppage of the referee uh, made that night. But, again, in terms of transparency, Helwani puts out the report, and, you know, it basically says, I asked Gatry who was on the council that determined this, and they would not reveal that like i mean just little things like this make it hard for me to fully embrace one sometimes um you know when the likes of john mccarthy is talking about the stoppage like a, a veteran of that elk talking about you know how how was this decision made etc and mm. yeah you know it's tough they're doing the same with rug rug now as far as i know too a, a lot of people um you know felt as though that should have been a victory for his opponent and it was on the night obviously but I heard that that's going to the same council and mm. um, be interested to see how that one turns out. But um, on Rug Rug's Rug end in that situation, I felt like, uh, you know, I, I was speaking to his people. And I was like, you've got to be as transparent as you can right now because the the most everybody who's watching this believes he backed out of this fight or at least 90% of what I saw online was people think he's like looked for a way out of this fight. So... I think they came out and they kind of said that it was going through that the board, but I still think that that's something that, without a doubt, uh, the fans are going to hold against them one hundred percent. You know, um, I think they need to explain what was the damage that was caused. 
they were kind of saying to me, look, it's so clear he was hit in the throat and the neck, etc. And I was like, well, that happens in fights, though. So it's not it's not illegal, really. And then they were like, it's after the bell. And I was like, it's kind of on the bell. And I was like, fair enough, right? If you can show us an angle where this is punching him in the throat and you can tell us then because of that blow, he suffered damage to his windpipe mm. or damage to his larynx. Or something. People need to be, it needs to be explained, really. And um, that's one thing I think that they could have done better. Either one, Rug Rug's team themselves. Um, that kind of information had to come out. And if they had a shot of the actual blow landing, right? Because they kept saying to me, look, you can see it as clear as day. It's the neck. And I'm like, I'm looking at Rug Rug's back here, man. I cannot see where that punch <laughs> is, is landing. Like, you know, I want to always give fighters the benefit of the doubt. And, and I'm not saying for a second that I don't, I completely disregard the opinion that he was, you know, immobilized by this shot if it was to the neck. But you got to absolutely show people clear as day that this is what happened before they're going to actually take it on board and even when you do do that about 50 percent of people are still going to just stay with the opinion they had but you got to cover your own back right yeah i mean so that was the thing too because i saw caposa you know shout out to caposa we were talking about caposa's corner we know him because he's such a presence on twitter and he showed a replay that showed oh shit rug rug landed a shot at the exact same time yes so it's like (laughs) <laughs> dude was fine so i i agree with you if there was some sort of neck injury some sort of actual damage then yeah just tell us what happened put that out there say this is the reason why he was stretchered out it felt like theater it felt like drama it felt like what we just saw this past weekend um what was her name uh pinheiro when she went back and it was like she was fine she went to catch herself and then all of a sudden she went limp it was like I just don't buy it, man. I just don't buy it in either case. And uh, it's easy for me to say that. And that's where I would default back to what you said. If there are some medical reports that show, especially in the throat case, there is a reason why you were stretchered out. At least just something to say, severe bruising, even if nothing was actually damaged, you know, permanently or something. Um, Give me something to go off of because it just doesn't look good, you know? Yeah, and look, I see people, uh, as MMA fans do, completely writing off the possibility of this man having a successful career in MMA now, which is to be expected. I mean, this isn't my first rodeo with the masses of MMA, but um, I don't think that's the case at all. Um, I think, you know, this guy can definitely make his mark in the sport. To to be honest, like he already has. When, when When you become a guy who people are tuning in to see, and I think on nearly... The two nights he fought there, he was one of the biggest talking points going in. And I don't think one recognized it on the first night because they put him on the prelim card. They had to put him on the, like during the broadcast, they had to play the fight again. And I think that's them realizing, holy shit, we've got something on our hands here. But um, yeah, it definitely wasn't the best look for Rug Rug. He did not look like the guy he looked like over his first three fights on the night. But Mm. for me... To say he's going nowhere now is is far too much. And it's very, very casual MMA fan for me to go there straight away. Yeah, it's almost like the pendulum swinging the exact opposite direction. It's like, well, yeah, it, it could be both of these things. You know, it could be yeah. that, uh, you know, like... Oh, he could have had a shit. No, he could have, could have absolutely just decided, like, fuck this. I don't want to be here. But that doesn't mean it's over. You know, yeah. like, I'm, look, how many times? I think one of the great examples is Bandejas and Gallagher, right? Ooh. Um, like, Bandejas knocks Gallagher out, and everyone's like, well, there it is. It's all over. And then he's selling out consecutive shows in Dublin and being the biggest draw for them as part of the European series, now defunct. Um, mm. Because 
Like it doesn't mean like MMA. You're gonna lose. You're gonna get knocked out. You're gonna like it's a, it's a brutal sport in terms of optics as well. Like you're gonna be embarrassed at some stage. Everybody is Dude. when you have everyone breaking down everything you do as soon as you're on TV fighting with just your pants on. It's pretty easy to be embarrassed, to be honest. I think it also should be considered. So when you interviewed him for the piece that we did, you asked him because initially that's who he was supposed to face, right? And then he had the last minute replacement, and you were like. So are you worried about this guy? And he was just like, no. So I wonder how much of that was not being, yeah, like (laughs) how much of that was just totally underestimating what he was about to go in there and do and just having no concept of, oh, okay, this could be harder than I think. So hopefully that means he'll be a bit more vigilant next time. He'll come in more prepared, but yeah, it's a bit rough. Um, Yeah. Well, I mean, like to be honest, immediately the questions I was asking was, like just to myself, as like as I was consuming, I'm like, right, what's going on in his corner here? The corner was frantic after the first round. Like, I mean, mm-hmm. they were shitting. Like, if, if you have a fire that's nervous in there, you have to be calm, composed. Greg Jackson, a great example. Trevor Whitman, a great example. All these people, no matter what is happening to their fighter in the fight, when they get back to that corner, it's like tranquility. Mm-hmm. As tranquil as you can get in that wild situation where you're locked in a cage and you're fighting someone. They always give this kind of nearly safe haven. Once they get back to the corner, it's all very soft talk. It's all like, let's try and give them as much information information as concisely as we can over this minute. And I didn't see any of that in Rug Rug's corner. Mm. Um, maybe, look, that's probably inexperience from the corner as well as him. You know, I, I think this is their kind of first time in this situation. And um, the other thing I asked about was, I was talking to his team, I was like, who is he training with? Like, like it, it just for for a lot of people, it looked like he'd never been in trouble before, in that situation. But to be fair, he's training with Toy Tuivasa like pretty much every day in Dubai. Mm. Like that is a that is a very good training partner, especially for a guy who's predominantly a wrestler to have. But um, yeah, it's I, I put it down to inexperience, you know. Um, I saw everybody talking about Ngannou being finished after the Stipe fight as well. This happens in MMA, and mm. it's um, it's always a bit ridiculous, but it definitely happens within the fandom of the sport. Yeah. Well, let's hope, uh, you know, let's hope for, for his sake, you know, you always want to see the best version of fighters come to the fore. Let's hope that it goes a little bit better moving forward, but let's move it on to the next topic. We've got Yuri Prohaska. So my God, talk about stealing the headlines. It was almost all decisions all night. Giga Chikadze thankfully broke that up for us, but then Yuri comes out with this just absolutely phenomenal finish of who we were just breaking down as the last guy that people thought beat John Jones before, you know, the, all this move up to heavyweight talk and all this stuff started to happen. So let's go ahead and get your thoughts on this one, PT. What do you make of this? Um, and we're just going to leave it super open, open-ended. I want to get your raw thoughts. What do you think about Yuri and his performance on Saturday? I think he is an absolutely huge deal. Um, the Czech Republic, he's already a huge deal in the Czech Republic, even back in his rising days, but... What he's going to mean to them as a guy at the top of his division, now entering the title fray, um, he's got he's such a character, dude. I mean, hairstyle, everything, the way he speaks, the way he sees the fight game, the way he fights itself, he is the full package. And that's what MMA is great for, characters. And this is the type of dude we want in that division. Like, the light heavyweight division has done well since John Jones left, but this is the kind of guy you need. Johnny Walkers, wild dudes that are in there. But Yuri's showing himself to be able to fight the way he does against elite 
opposition in that division. Like I said before, he's going to have to be a lot more conservative against guys towards the top of the division. And he was eating Roy hands like all day long in that first round, but they just didn't seem to do anything to him. He's incredible to watch. He's incredible to listen to. And uh, I can't wait to see him again. If they want to give him a title shot, let's do it. Yeah, it's it's like one of these things. Um, well, I'll just go ahead and go right into my take. So um, if if this was anybody else, we might be talking about a knockout finish from Reyes and his comeback and this triumphant win because he definitely hit him. I mean, cosmetically, Reyes looked bad, but he rocked him at least on two separate occasions, once on the feet, one with an up kick, and he also subbed him. Reyes was game. The idea that he somehow toasted or finished is absolutely not true. I thought he looked amazing in that fight. And so that's a testament to A, Yuri's chin and his fortitude to come back and find that knockout and do it creatively. I just watched the interview with Ariel Wanning. He was just like, nah, I didn't rehearse that. It was just something, an instinct in the moment. I thought he looked phenomenal, but I totally agree with you. If he's doing that against Jan Blahovich, my God, is he going to get chin checked for real? Because Reyes has knockout power, but Jan has knockout power on another level. And I don't think that that's going to bode well for him. Same can be said for Glover. If Glover wins that fight on September 4th. So it's a tough fight ahead. Thought he looked amazing, but he can't get hit like that against the two top guys right now. It's a yeah, tough fight. I'm like like I saw so many people, we posted my kind of take on this, and they're like, well, that's how he is. I know. I've been watching the fucking guy since his rising days. <laughs> his first but what I'm trying to say to you is that kind of policy works until it doesn't. Like, yeah. it's one day you're just going to get hit, and your chin is never the fucking same again. Like, mm-hmm. don't get me wrong. He was eating shots off Reyes. They're slowly working down his energy bar. Like, in a video game, it's like that. You can only take so many of them. Like, Yes, I, I believe he can go in and, and knock out Jan too. Like, if, if, if he could absolutely do that. But when does it become a problem? Like, I mean, if you're taking so many shots like that, the reason why Jones could stay relevant is he only started really taking a lot of shots towards the end of his 205 run. And I think him sensing that, you know, I'm, I'm in a lot more exchanges than I used to be, I think that's kind of given him the impetus to go up and try to cement his legacy as a heavyweight now because... You know, he knows he's on bot time. Everyone in combat sports is. Um, so, yeah, I think he's fantastic. Look, like from a fan point of view, I can understand why you don't want to see him change his style, right? Like it's fucking wild. But look what happened with Justin Gagey when he just made those small changes. It was beautiful and he's still fantastic to watch. So why the hell not? Yeah, I mean, he looked absolutely phenomenal, incredibly entertaining. And I think the John Jones defensiveness, I mean, John Jones used to have a lot of finishes. I mean, he even then, to his credit, wasn't getting hit. I think possibly a turning point was the first Gus fight, uh, even the first uh, DC fight to switching to more of a defensive style because he got hit a lot in both of those fights in a way that he had never really been hit before in the past. And it just goes to show, yeah, you can't really have that long of a career getting hit like that. And so for all the people talking about his rising career, I mean, I've been a huge fan of him for a long time. I also remember the first King Mo fight where he did get knocked out cold. So it is a very dangerous style. It's a very entertaining style. We all love him for it. We think it's the greatest. You've interviewed him. You've had great uh, talks with him in the past. And he's an awesome fighter. So you want to see the, I think what we're talking about right now is maximizing his potential. How can he do that as fans of him? It's very much meant in a constructive way. So yeah, don't take it the wrong way, guys. <laughs> you you want him to do well. You know what I mean? You want the most competitive fight, you know? 
and this isn't just a haircut, let me tell you. Like every time I've interviewed Yuri, I interviewed him before he was rising champion. Um, and I've interviewed him say four times, but every time, like he comes in with something. It's never just like him sitting there waiting mm. for the questions. The last time I interviewed him, he was wearing a big red pair of glasses. I can remember it very clearly because it came <laughs> on to Jay after going, mate, this guy is he is for the birds, but I love it. Like, I mean, he was telling me, like, I wear these glasses because the blue lights from the screens on my phone affect my vision. So I wear these all day. If I'm on my computer, I'm wearing them. If I'm playing the PlayStation, I'm wearing them. If I'm doing anything, if I'm in a room with a light in it, I'm wearing them. So I was just like, this is wild. And he went on for about 15 minutes explaining to me. All, of course, <laughs> went straight over my head. And I was like, so, what do you think of this fight you've got with Volkan Osdemir? <laughs> <laughs> so you got like a fight. I uh, thought we were going to talk about that. Well, yeah, so, I mean... I mean I he is wild, you know. He's just a wild man, and that's I love that shit. Yeah, I mean, you can't help but be entertained. Are you not entertained? Could not apply to this guy any more than anyone in the history of MMA. He's just done such a phenomenal job. I'm such a big fan. I hope a fight like that can go down with Jan. Both their chins stand up, and you know we end up having this back and forth. Uh, you know, I want to see the best fight possible, so I'm on board for it. It's just dangerous. That's the name of the game, right there. And, Chuck Liddell is the perfect example. You talking about like, ooh, once you get chin checked like that and it never recovering, that was the first time he'd ever really been knocked out cold like that. Then after that was the Rashad one, even the Keith Jardine decision loss. And then it was the Rich Franklin loss and all the way up until, you know, we won't talk about that last fight that he had. We won't talk too much but, about that but, one. But that's that's the best example of it really, Jay, isn't it? Like look at what Chuck Liddell used to do to Tito Ortiz when he fought, when he was Dude. at the best of his ability. And look where it ends. You know, it's, it's very sad. I, I think everybody, um, every fan of the sport was left with a bad taste in their mouth after that one. But one thing I will say about Yuri Prohaska, I wish the UFC had made my dream come true when they signed him and just made the Johnny Walker fight because I don't think Ooh. they're ever going to be in the same space together again. Like, I think it's it, it's going to be very difficult for Johnny to get into that uh, championship cluster. But if he does, please, God, that would be one of the wildest fights ever seen at 205, I think. Honestly, that would be... A ridiculous fight man yeah i'd be totally up for that one holy shit would that be a barn burner because i mean they're both getting contested on the feet not that yuri won't take it to the ground but yeah any of those dudes dude they land a shot it's over it's, it's fucking it's crazy so everything like i mean <laughs> when you're just watching, like what is that like how is he doing this like i love guys that make things work that make absolutely no sense i think it was Kaposa um put up a gif of one of the shots yuri landed you don't know. I think he, he might have put up a, a gift from his pride days where he fakes the right hand and then comes up with a front kick through the middle. You're like, what? <laughs> how is this? This is just meant like he's like, whoop. And then you just see this limb coming out of nowhere. It's Jesus. like, what in the name of God? Talk about being unpredictable. Well, let's go ahead and move it on to the last one. Speaking of somebody who's very unpredictable, we all know Verdum can sometimes start off the fight in wild ways with a jumping sidekick trying to beat up Edmund Tarverdian afterwards, <laughs> trying to beat up Colby Covington with a, a boomerang, you know, boomerang, all these baby. boomerang baby. That was the greatest thing I've ever seen, I think. But so Verdum and PFL each week, the organizations had at least one big debut from UFC fighter. It's been Pettis losing Rory winning. So we're kind of one and one on this. How were Verdum fair PT? So let me go ahead and get that timer set up. You have one minute go um i think there's more pressure for me personally 
on Verdun than there was on Anthony Pettis and than there was on Rory McDonald simply because, like, I mean, they both took on known quantities in their PFL debut. We all knew Cassius Clay Collard had that amazing run in the top-ranked bubble uh, throughout Corona. We knew that, um, obviously, Curtis Melander fought in the UFC. And I think that's the big takeaway from that fight for me. Like, Melander is not a bad fighter by any stretch of the imagination. He's a very good pro. And Rory still managed to look leaps and bounds better than him. So I think that's a, a great feather in Rory's cap. But to be honest, I don't know an awful lot about Henan Ferreira. I, I, I don't have a clue about him. And he's 6-2 and two against Verdum's 40-odd fights and world titles, everything else. So, I mean, I think this would be a far bigger shock if he was to come up short in his PFL debut. So that kind of puts a weird kind of pressure on Verdum as far as I'm concerned. I predict him to submit him in the first round. Hmm. Yeah, what a weird fight that we've got coming up here. So this is the thing that we were talking about earlier. I'll start my great. timer. Yeah, so the one thing that we discovered, uh, this just got published uh, only about 21 hours ago. Guilherme Cruz, who works for MMA Fighting, published Legend. an article. What's that? Legend. Legend, yes. Sorry. Yeah, no, no, you're good. <laughs> and Frejela, uh, he actually played for Doom in a biopic of... Fernando Torreira. I'm not familiar with who that is, but he actually played Verdum in a film. So how weird is that? So he probably knows Verdum a lot better than Verdum knows him. So it could be interesting. That could be the type of conditions for an upset, but it's hard to really make that stretch. That'd be a really big stretch. The guy is, as you said, six and two. He's coming off of a loss in LFA. He hasn't even fought in PFL yet or major league. It's really hard to take somebody with that little of expertise, that lower of a level over Verdum. So you have to pick Verdum in this one. You just do. So. Interesting note there. Um, I only realized it's it's Fernando Terrare, the the film that he must have portrayed. Fernando Terrare is a Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu legend. I actually trained with him. I butchered the pronunciation um, on that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's it's he actually got addicted to drugs. I'm not too sure which substance, but I mean he had the that was like really ultra violent favela police came in and busted him out of his own house once. Uh, crazy story. He went and lived in Wales for for some period of time. That's where I trained with him. Or was it maybe it was in Cork and Liam Beachner's gym in Cork? But one of the great jujitsu showmen, an incredible athlete. So that's interesting to see Verdum obviously cross paths with him in the early days of jujitsu. I'd also like to say congratulations to Guilherme Cruz, the man who wrote this article. Him and uh, his 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 uh, partner Carol had their first baby yesterday. He sent me some beautiful pics. So uh, he is a legend of the game, Guilherme Cruz. He is the the greatest media member in the history of Brazilian MMA. So um, congratulations, Guilherme. I love you very much. Yeah, he's pretty awesome. And actually, I'll just pull it up on the screen just because I had it ready to go here. Let me zoom out just a little bit so you can see it here. Henry Fajera played for Bruce Overdoom in the biopic. So. Pretty interesting stuff. I mean, uh, <laughs> how weird is that, you know? Um, so that you can't write stuff like that. That's just bizarre. It's almost like too weird, you know? So we'll see what happens. Maybe that's the conditions for an upset. He's just been literally studying the guy for a living for a actual work before it was an actual fight for another job. So this is, that's got to be an edge though, right? For Verdum, like this guy literally had to portray you in a film. Like you're that part of iconography <laughs> of jujitsu and, you know, MMA in, in Brazil that they decided we're going to have to put you in this film to add substance to a scene or something like that. And now the dude has to fight him. That is, Man. 
that's an edge, man. I don't care what anyone says, man. Verdum is rubbing his hands together with that shit. You've actually got a really great point there because, I mean, it's like uh, what happened with GSP when he fought Matt Hughes. He was too intimidated because he had built up this legendary version of Matt Hughes, even though he was actually doing really well in that fight and arguably could have won it even that early on in his career. And I think if he was a bit more composed, he might have actually won that fight. So, yeah, that could be the same situation for Hennon here going up against somebody he's idolized literally in a, a film like that's just fucking crazy. But like, anyhow, you have to be if you're an MMA fighter, Jason, and you have to portray another fighter in a film, like you immediately know <laughs> where you are in the pecking order. <laughs> you know, no one's saying here, Hennon, will you play yourself in this here? Will you please pretend to be a guy you're going to fight in a few years? That's terrifying. Wow. Well, um, this next one, I'm going to move it on to. Um, so Diego put out a rant. So for people who haven't seen it i'm just going to play it hopefully it works okay sometimes these things don't work uh correct when it's coming off of twitter especially twitter's video players just atrocious but let's go ahead and play this i want to get your raw thoughts on it i've of course seen it i want to get people's thoughts in the comments about it but i haven't seen it actually yeah so diego you know the whole story about this everybody knows already he basically got fired by the ufc because his coach joshua fabio was causing issues backstage and being real confrontational with the commentator team leading, you know, Paul Felder to say, I don't know what the fuck you're talking about. <laughs> you know, like all these memeable moments. So that's what we've been hearing from Joshua Fabia. And what we haven't really heard from is Diego Sanchez. So here's a direct video from him that he recorded. I believe it was on his Instagram and someone has posted on Twitter here. So let's play this and get everyone's thoughts. What's up, Dana? Man, I tried for two years to get a meeting with you. Oh, shit. I, I was the first ultimate fighter. I mean, didn't that show do something for the company when it was $60 million in debt? Oh, oh, all those fight on the nights. Oh, all that TV time, Spike TV, Fox TV, all the, all ESPN, all of them. And, and you can't meet with your boy. And I'm there in Vegas training. I'm going to Vegas and I'm training there. Weeks on weeks on weeks. I've put 60 to 70 hours in the UFC PI. Just to try to get a meeting with you, Dana. Just to try to meet you in crossing. But you won't meet with me because you don't want to hear what I have to say. You don't want to talk to me. You don't want to talk to my batshit crazy manager. Why? Because he might bring some light. He might bring some awareness to what you're hiding in the dark. Well, I- I'm still open to meet with you, Dana. Be a fucking man. Be a real fucking boss. When I've bled, I've sweat, I've fucking cried. I fucking cried for this fucking company. I fucking sacrificed more than you will ever know. And you can't fucking have a 45 minutes to meet with it. Oh, but you'll meet with Clay Guida. You'll meet with Clay Guida and you'll post that shit up. But little, little brown boy from New Mexico who was supposed to be knocked the fuck out on the ultimate fighter. That you have to switch the agenda and make me fight my own teammate, Josh Koscheck. You have to flip the fucking narrative because I'm fucking it up. Because I'm, I'm in there and I'm, I'm winning fights I'm not supposed to win. And I've done this my whole career. I was supposed to be shoot, chewed up, swallowed, and shit out a long fucking time ago. And I believe me, I fucked up a lot of bets. I fucked up a lot of bets. There's a lot of money. And, 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 and everybody knows Dana got a betting problem. Oh, oh, you know, I saw, I saw they posted, oh, he always wins on the blackjack table. 
that that the palms had to had to kick him out because um he wins so much. Well, I know you ain't winning on everything, and I know you got a gamble. There you go. So, I mean, pretty intense stuff. I mean, he's literally crying in the middle of it. I want to get your raw thoughts on this. We won't put a timer on it because there's no point for this. Just want to get your raw take on it. What do you, what do you think about what you just heard there, PT? I think it's really sad to see Diego like that, and I, I, I can completely understand where he's coming from, why he'd feel that way after giving so much to the company, but let's not pussyfoot around it. It's not because of him that he's gone. Hmm. It's because of Joshua Fabia. And this guy has come into the sport and has made everything about himself. Like that media meeting had nothing to do with him. And he came in and he made it about himself, about criticism he's faced. But the problem is the criticism, like he is not proving the criticism wrong by doing things like this. He's completely self-obsessed. Hmm. Um, I think he's preying on Diego. I I don't like what he's doing. I I don't care if he doesn't like us talking about it because we don't want to see these guys go out like this. It's a hard enough life. It's a hard enough life to deal with in itself rather than having someone come in and, and essentially lead you astray. Mm. I, I feel like he, he's been a real... He's tarnished Diego's legacy as far as I'm concerned. Um, nobody understands, right? Fair enough. Maybe he's such a contemporary that we don't understand what he's doing. But when every fighter and every analyst and every person involved in the sport can not understand how this helps his relationship there. Like, and here's the, the thing, like, I mean, this school of self-awareness, I'm looking at Diego there and, and he's in a very bad way. Where's your help here? Like, where, why aren't you getting him? Why is he, isn't, isn't he like centered? Where's the chi? I mean, this is, mm. this, he seems all over the place and I'm, I'm really sad to see Diego like that. And I completely um, sympathize with how he feels. I, I absolutely understand how he feels, but he's got to understand this isn't about him anymore. It's about Joshua Fabia, as far as I'm concerned. And um, I, I, I have nothing else to say. I don't like the guy, and I don't like what he's doing with Diego's career. Yeah, and I was I was kind of reacting to this on Twitter last night when I saw it. I, I feel like he said so much more there than Joshua Fabi in the hours and hours of interviews that he's done on podcasts and, you know, all these different shows. He said far more in two minutes than that, you know, asshole. You know, I'm not going to mince words. Fuck that guy. You know, he's he's done so much more than Joshua Fabia ever could in just about two minutes of talking. And he just kind of laid out some bare thoughts there. I do think it, you know, who knows the attenuating circumstances behind the scenes, but it does seem pretty reasonable that Dana White should meet with a guy. The thing is, though, the other part of that might be he's like, oh, Joshua Fabia has to come with me. <laughs> and he's like, no, you can come, but Joshua Fabia can't. Who knows? You know, I don't know all the circumstances on it. It does seem pretty reasonable that the two should at least be able to meet, at least the two of them type kind of thing and just kind of have a meeting in the minds. But who knows? Maybe they've had train wreck meetings in the past where it goes off the handle and Dana's just like, I'm not wanting <laughs> to deal with that again. But the argument here seems much more it's much more sympathetic hearing it directly from him joshua fabi has made it all about himself he never once focused on diego he just focused on the criticisms that people have rightfully had of fabia i mean fabia's fucked up everything you know so i think this paints it in a different light and it just shows you how bad joshua fabia is because you actually feel sympathy for him here 
you didn't feel sympathy for him in that weird boardroom thing. You know, you didn't feel sympathy for him there. You just felt like you were seeing a train wreck. And to a certain extent, you're seeing a train wreck here as well. But at least you're seeing the guy. And you, you get a sense of what this guy's done over his career how much of a burden that's been to him, how much of a mindfuck that has to be to try to compete at that level for so long, the sacrifices involved. You get a sense of all of that, and he can't hold back his emotions. It really makes you feel for the guy, and it just makes you hate Joshua Fabia that much more. It makes you that much more uh, incensed, that much more indignant, that much more pissed off. You know, It's like, what is this guy doing? You know, It's unfortunate, man. It sucks. He's a complete snake oil salesman. I mean, the, I I see what he's done. Look, we see it in all different types of things. Um, you know, people can be led astray by people. Like, I'm sure he's very um, manipulative. I'm sure he can definitely, you know, he has something to him that people look to. I don't have a, I have no doubt about that. But, you know, it's not the right guy. And and to, like, just, just to give you an idea of where I'm coming from at this, from the get-go with Josh Fabia, right, it became a story because it was so bizarre looking. If mm. this worked, if this worked and he, he was getting results and Diego had some type of renaissance, people would love him. Mm. People would be like, this is an incredible story. This guy, like, Ido Portal on steroids, is somehow <laughs> turned around the career of, of Diego Sanchez in the twilight of his career. But it's not that. Like, it's, it's not that at all. It, it's, become, it's become almost a parody of itself. And it's you like Fabia. Fabia needs to realize, like, I mean, this is how ninety nine percent of the world are reacting when they see these videos. Like, I see Emil Mech there training with them. I'm like, are you just there to take the piss? Like, I I don't understand. You know what I mean? Like, I I, I just don't get it. Um, but I'm worried about Diego. Yeah, same here, man. It's it's just such a strange, perplexing. I mean, nothing about it makes any sense. And to a certain extent, I mean, Diego Sanchez, if there's anybody to prey on, it's the guy walking to the ring shouting yes with a cross in his hand and doing cartwheels. And and uh, I don't know, it almost seems like the perfect storm. The guy saw an opportunity. Snake oil salesman, as you put it, 100%. I don't see how the guy sleeps at night being who he is. I mean, it's... Who knows? Maybe there's going to be something that blows up in our face and it turns out Joshua Fabi is this amazing person, but I doubt it. You know what I mean? Like he has no awareness of what he's doing. Like he has no idea why we could possibly consume this and and think Mm. like the fact they put up that fucking video in the media boardroom where Felder makes him look like a clown. Where Felder's just like, listen, mate, your fella looked amazing in that video, by the way. Unbelievable. But yeah, the idea that he put that up and was like, oh, now people are going to understand. And he just made himself look like an asshole. And that will show you how absolutely criminally not self-aware this man is. And he runs a school about it. And now he's Ooh. trying to teach a guy mixed martial arts at an elite level. It, it's insane. And um, hmm. I don't know. I, I just I get a really bad feeling about it. I don't know anyone who's ever said anything positive to me about it. And, you know, there's this culture at the moment where... People are delusionally thinking people are out to get them. Mm. And it's been going on for a long time where, oh, you know, they're all out to get me, blah, blah, blah. Like Joshua Fabio was calling UFC and thought there was some type of conspiracy, like from day one with Diego. But the thing is, right, if you listen to the phone call, there was also a phone call release where he's speaking to Hunter Hunter Campbell. 
about um, his medical records and things like this. As soon as that talk comes up, the UFC know they're in a combat sports industry. Cain Velasquez was pulled from a fight for suggesting he wasn't 100% once in an interview because that would be bad faith on the company's behalf to put you in there. When you're on the phone talking to the UFC being like, Jay has got a lot of shit wrong with him, you're kind of forcing their hand. They have no other choice in that situation. Like, we don't, like, I know the UFC aren't the most uh, morally perfect company in the world, but what other choice have you given them at that stage? And I know people really wanted to see Diego fighting all the more after this media boardroom situation, but in fairness to the UFC, it was a, the decision they made was completely based on Diego's well-being. But um, it, it's tough, man. It, it's a really horrible situation. Yeah, you've really got to be fucking up when you're <laughs> making the UFC look like a sympathetic, you know, <laughs> actor in this situation. It's just so insane. Um, curious to get some uh, the other people's thoughts. Irish technical thinker says Fabia is a Karen. Karen's in the wilds. So <laughs> that one made me laugh when I read that. Uh, ben Good says uh, Fabia taking Diego in is so much like Palpatine taking an Anakin. Okay, I didn't expect that comment to go that route <laughs> with the Star Wars route. Palpatine was incompetent and Vader started sucking immediately afterward. There, well, there you go, Ben Good. Um, Roger, do you think the lung damage will negatively impact Hamzat? Jason Lawton was great, but you were missed. <laughs> Appreciate you, Roger P. Thank you. He gave us five dollars in that super chat. Um, yeah, I mean, this is something that you've talked about pretty extensively, PT. What, what are your thoughts on Hamzat, the lung damage, and how will that negatively impact him going forward? I think it, it's definitely a possibility, right? I'm not a scientist. I'm not. I'm not a doctor. But like one thing we do know is that everyone is kind of having different impact. Like COVID is having a different impact on people. Um, mm. Like Leon was talking to us about it, like sound hellish while it was going, but luckily enough, he's put him through all the put himself through all these tests to make sure his VO2 max and everything like that is where it needs to be. Obviously, he's kept records for a long time, but I think the UFC need to really recognize this is this guy is could be the goose that lays the golden egg. You know, this guy could be the next generation superstar, and for that reason, they they shouldn't rush him in against a Leon Edwards or anyone like that. Like, we're going to have a great time watching Hamza piece the shit out of anyone, really, at this mm. stage. Let's be honest. He was fighting guys that we didn't really expect to beat him in the first place. His whole reputation was built on that. And suddenly he was thrust into a fight against Leon Edwards. And, of course, we wanted to see it. You know, it didn't make any sense, but we wanted to see it. But there's no need. There's absolutely no need to throw him to the wolves at this stage, and especially after coming over such a, a traumatic experience like this. Like, I mean, the guy retired. Like, mm. it, it, like he went from on top of the world to not wanting to fight anymore. So that to me says that everything got a bit overwhelming for him. So let's slow it down. Let him ease into it again. And when I say ease into it, and it's Hamza, that could mean three fights in a month. But I mean, <laughs> we're going to be happy to watch it anyway. There's no need to put him in there with a an elite welterweight or middleweight yet. Yeah, you can move him up, but there's a huge jump from Reese McKee to Leon Edwards. There's a lot to play with there. There's a lot of things you can do. So, um, yeah, I, I just hope um, I hope it doesn't. Obviously, I think we all hope it doesn't, but I have no idea. And it absolutely could have had an effect on him, a permanent effect. But um, I think the best way the UFC can try to mitigate circumstances like that is ease him back into things. Let's not go crazy. Yeah, I totally agree with that. Um, let's see. Zach says Hamza, Hamza should fight Brady, but they Are wouldn't you make joke? that. Like, I mean, 
that that's that's a wild fight to make in my opinion two great yeah. prospects let's put them together come on yeah that's pretty rough um i mean that's the thing though you know that's the other side of it so you know i know you and i have talked about should they make uh valentina versus amanda nunes three and you know some of the arguments that we put out there on that one for me it's it's not about their <laughs> in a cold way in the coldest way possible it's not about their individual legacies. It's about making the best fight for the sport, you know? So I don't necessarily have a problem with, you know, in that instance, them fighting and it might mess up their legacies, but we do get to know who's the best fighter on the planet. And the same thing goes with this situation here, Hamza versus Brady. I think it's a fun thing. You know, Sean Brady is great on the ground, outstanding on the feet. Um, he doesn't have the knockout power that we're seeing right now out of Hamzat, but man, what a fight would that be? I would love to see that fight. Personally, oh, yeah. I raise well, my hand it, for that one. When, when the title's on the line, that'll be even better. And when we get to see these guys slowly work their way through division, that's what I believe. I think if you're, if, if you're like, I mean, we haven't seen a whole lot of these dudes and to put them together now, I just feel is, is, is breaking down their momentum way too much. Just like you want to see these guys constantly rise, rise, and suddenly we have a lot of new faces in the title mix. And that's always exciting. Yeah. But I'll tell you one I don't have a problem with at all is Nick Diaz v. Hamza. Because <laughs> that's two people in two different, completely different situations in their career. And the Diaz brothers, like I know he doesn't want the fight, but usually they want the fight that's going to make the big impact. Like, right. we see Nate Diaz now fighting Leon. Nobody wants to fight Leon. Why does he now want to fight Leon? Because he sees a title shot beyond weeding Leon. Yeah. That's the that's the big dangling carrot there. For Diaz, if he came back and somehow bams that, which I don't think he would, that would be <laughs> unbelievable, though. And it kind of plays into his whole... the He's going in to fight the UFC's golden boy. This is a guy that constantly has been at odds with the UFC. And now he's going to come in and take out the golden boy. And we don't know if this guy's the same after his huge bet with COVID. I would watch the shit out of that. And to be yeah. honest, I don't think Nick has a lot left in him. So oh, that's man. the way I'm looking at it. I like the um, – I'm personally more on the train with the Masvidal fight. Like uh, I think it was Mac Malley. Maybe Mac was just retweeting it, but shout out to Mac Malley from our social media team. He posted a graphic of just like a coffin, Nick Diaz's return, and the coffin being held up by Hamzat. It's just like, just close that on top of him. He would just absolutely kill the guy. That's how I think it would go. And to be fair, you know, we're still, the Reese McKee argument is still valid here. That's the last guy he's fought at welterweight, you know, like, and he if wasn't even a welterweight. And Nick Diaz are the same, you know, I love Reese McKee. I know the guy personally. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. it is a different story. Yeah, and, exactly. And I mean, exactly. As I said, the Balian when he was on, um, Nick Diaz's style has, like, I've literally, like, maybe against GSP is about it. I have never seen him in a fight where he is not backing up his opponent. Mm. Everything that Hamzat does is moving forward. And it, yeah. it, it's, I know it sounds silly, but to, to give him that kind of opponent where he is going to be backed up, where we know Nick Diaz is just going to come at him and come at him and come at him, and he could walk onto a right hand, it's still something Ooh. very different. It's still him uh, solving a different problem. And if you don't think Nick Diaz could get up for that fight, I know he doesn't want it, but Jesus Christ, I thought it was I thought it was absolutely perfect for him, to be honest. I mean, <laughs> if he comes back and loses the Hamzat, no one's like, Well, there goes Nick. Yeah. You know? I don't know though. Maybe. So um Ned's MMA podcast, totally valid criticism. He says these guys gas up Hamzat so much. So my argument to that, my my 
proposition back to you is that people gas up Nick Diaz too much. The last time the guy yeah, won maybe, was in yeah. 2011. We're talking about an actual decade since he last won. Uh, sorry, okay, I just don't have that. He backhanded. That... He <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I mean, okay, so we'll go nine years if you say he beat Condit. It's just like the guy's been gone for a long time. I don't think that you could make any kind of argument that this guy's going to come back looking like the guy that beat BJ Penn in his UFC debut. I don't think you can make any argument for that. And if he does, that's incredible. You know, it's like the new Randy Couture, the new Dan Henderson, the new DC, you know, whatever you want to say. But um, I don't think there's any evidence to suggest it would go that way. I think that the level of the game in the last decade in the last decade, we're talking about 10 years in a sport that's essentially 30 years old on a mainstream scale. You know, I mean, people didn't know what the hell jujitsu was in 1993. Uh, you know, you had one glove boxer, you know, all these guys, pro wrestlers coming over and Ken Shamrock from Pancrase. Obviously, it was hybrid pro wrestling, but he was a pro wrestler before that. The idea that in the last decade that the sport hasn't moved on, I think is a bit nuts. I think that... There are some fun fights that you can put him in, but he'll almost certainly lose in all of them. And I'll put my hand out there and I will say, I'll eat crow if, you know, Nick Diaz wins all those fights. I know he's got a lot of fans. I know that's not a popular thing to say, but it's just the truth, man. It's been a fucking decade since he's won a fight. And I have a hard time believing that all that time that he took off in between as well, that he's going to look like, oh man, he's beating Cyborg Evangelista. He's beating Paul Daly. That guy... We we age. That's a thing, right? We know that. <laughs> I don't Not know. Me. There's no nice way to put it, guys. I'm sorry. Well, I'll say to you then, Jay, is what is the best way to maximize the value for the UFC that they're going to spend on Nick Diaz coming back here? It's to bleed a new star. Masvidal. It's bleed. Like, yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's a fun fight. Absolutely. But they put Hamza on another stratosphere with a name like Nick Diaz on his record. Even though, as you say... 10 years since he fought. No one really necessarily thinks he's going to win. But well, to be fair, it was 2015. It. So it was 10 years since he won. He was uh, 2015 when he fought um, Anderson, right? Anderson, yeah. The yeah. lie down. Look, he basically won that fight by lying down. That was really cool. I'm just going to on me. You know, hey, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? Um, but I think from their point of view is, uh, uh, Nick Diaz coming back is a huge story. If you can Hamza, if you can attach Hamza to that story, I think it, it works out in Hamza's favor because, as you said, like I don't see Nick Diaz beating him. But could he convince me by having an absolutely ridiculous interview two days before that has nothing <laughs> to do with the fight? Yeah, he probably could. <laughs> he can tell us that he's not paid taxes for the past twenty years yeah. again. Now- he's gonna beat him. He's gonna beat him. He's gonna beat him. <laughs> Holy shit! I mean, I. Obviously, you want the best for Nick Diaz. You can't not be a fan for Nick Diaz. So don't take this as, you know, I'm just shitting on him. It's just the truth. You know, it's like, I think it's better to go in with bated breath. I just honestly think, or else you're just going to be really fucking disappointed. That's just my my thought on it. But, but I think the same with Masvidal, though. Like, mm. I, like and in oh fairness, I think Masvidal could probably hit him a lot more than Hamzat would if they fought. You know, yeah. I think Masvidal would be bombing the head off him if they fought. So... I'd rather see him take one clean shot and go out for the first time ever yeah. <laughs> than see him getting bludgeoned for five rounds, to be honest. 
Yeah, I guess um, my my thought is, you know, if we're going to have them come back to do fun fights, let's have them go up against some of those dream names. You, know, you want to oh. see the Robbie Lawler rematch. You want to see you want to see the mass of it all brother rivalry kind of thing. Like, you know, we already saw the Nate Diaz fight. Let's see the Nick Diaz fight now. That's kind of where I'm on the lines. Like it's almost like a legend type kind of uh, competition. You know, whoever he's fighting, it's just a fun fight, you know, but who knows? We'll see, man. We'll see. Diaz Army Nick, always in there, uh, says they're cool. I wonder who Nick wants, to be honest. Like, obviously, hmm. he's going to say or something if you ask him. But I wonder, Can in his imagine? heart of hearts, who would be his ideal opponent to come back to? Like, uh, what about Mike Perry? I'd like that. I mean, I don't know. Oh. Oh. <laughs> imagine that <Dude>. promotion. <laughs> I mean, it'd be a fun fight. Don't get me wrong. It'd be a shit show, and it would probably do pretty well. Don't get me wrong. Those um, interviews are making sports center. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, they go viral. They go viral. There's no doubt about that, yeah. man. Um, let's see. Here's a fun question from Air Cool 125 in his currency. Who do you think is the next most likely double champ? Personally, I think it's Figgy if he gets past Moreno. Team 10, aka. Wait, isn't Team 10 Jake Paul? <laughs> wait, wait, what does Team 10 mean? He's. Are you saying? Right, uh, that. <laughs> is that Jake Paul? He's saying it's better than AKA. Oh my god. The, I'd agree. I'd the, agree. Uh, well, I mean, look at the numbers. The numbers speak for themselves. Three and zero. Oh, you know. God damn it, dude. Um, next double champ. Who is the most likely Jake next Paul. double champ? Jake Paul from Rose Namajunas. No, uh, sorry, I don't see anybody beating Valentina from one fifteen. Jake Paul. Yeah. Um, I think, Izzy, I think if Izzy loses the middleweight title, I'd back Osman. Oh, because he won't fight it's Izzy, already- but he would fight somebody else. Yeah. I Marvin think he's Vittori. Capable. I think he could beat Marvin Vittori. Yeah. I think that would be the opportune time to go up. Who else? Jan? No, he can't see him beating Ngannou. <laughs> ah, dude, his quote about fighting Ngannou, though, he was just like, yeah, he might have some power, but I got that legendary Polish power. I got to be honest. I don't think that legendary Polish power measures up, but it kind of made me like think like man maybe if you get like a few defenses under your belt and you're still ball champion sure you know a couple of years i might be up for that i might be up for that by then man, yeah legendary polish power against goliath cameroonian <laughs> power like i mean yeah fuck. jesus fucking christ how the hell is Stipe stay standing man early in that fight i was like what is what is in this man's chin god literally outweighs him by about 60 pounds and he does wrestling, sumo-style <laughs> wrestling. Uh, oh, sorry. Um, I just turned into uh, <laughs> your favorite Fox host. Um, who Who is that Skip Bayless? Sorry, I went for the Skip Bayless there. But it, there is a seriously, like, 60-pound weight difference, at least by what they cut. You know, 205, he's been cutting down to 265. Like, Jesus Christ, what a big difference. I mean, the reality is weight, lower weight divisions, I think it's way more of a possibility usually because there are a lot in um, – in name Tiger Tiger. Toy, yeah, they've trained there a lot together. I doubt they do it, but I mean, when you get to that level, like Volkanovski against Poirier, that, that seems like a bit of a stretch, or Oliveira mm. or something like that, just based on size. But it gets more tricky as you go 155, welterweight, 15 pounds, 170 to 185, you really got to have that next level wrestling. You know, you've got to be like Habib going up. I mean, even Habib, I think he would really struggle because, I mean, we have weight classes for a reason. It's not, 
you know, I'm not saying one's more technical than the other in that situation. I'm saying one guy's a lot fucking bigger in Kamara Usman, even if it was Habib going up. It's like that 15-pound difference, I think we'd really feel that one. Um, That's why Izzy was pretty crazy for doing what he did, you know? That's why it's, it's yeah. commendable for even trying to do it. And going the distance with Jan, who's KO and 205 is left, right, and center. Yeah, he went old school, man. Like, um, Boss Rutten used to drink water to make heavyweight. Is the exact opposite of weight cutting. That's what people used to do back in the day. Izzy went old school. He just went in there natty. Like what? What did he weigh? Like one ninety nine or something like that, or, or yeah. two two oh four? Not one ninety nine, like two oh four or something like that. Um, I was actually talking to Berman before that fight. Uh, I think I interviewed him for the BBC, and he said uh, that they had a choice on their hands because of the gap to the fight. They could either spend most of the time putting weight onto his body. Mm. Or else they could spend time figuring out how to fight differently at 205. Mm. And when they put their heads together, they were like, I think because Izzy's so talented, I think we should go by way of technique and try to beat them that way instead of size. And look, who knows? It probably it could have went the same way even if you had to put the weight on. It probably would. But mm. that's that's a tough situation to be in as a champ, you know, when you're we're switching things up, you have to prioritize one over the other. So um Again, I still commend them very highly. I expect them to be Vittori, to be honest. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, Figgy's got a tough test with that um, Moreno fight. I mean, that fight was just incredible. Hopefully, we don't have as many eye pokes this time. <laughs> Hopefully, it's a bit cleaner of a fight. But, um, yeah, he's got a really tough test. But, yeah, I think that probably is the strongest one when you break it down. Like, yeah, I could see 125 going up to 135. I could see that happening for sure. I can't see happening in the women's divisions. I don't see anybody going up and beating Nganu. Jan has proven that against Izzy. I think it's too much of a jump, uh, and he won't fight him anyway with Izzy, but that's probably the second most likely. 155, I mean, that's a nobody knows who's even the champion yet. It's way hard to make a way too hard to make a prediction there. 145, that's in disarray right now because it feels like Max Holloway's the champ. Yeah, I mean, that's a great question. That's a really fun question. Yeah, Holloway, when Holloway went to 155, he just didn't look the same. No. Like, I mean, it's it's tough. Yeah, It's the... a big ask of a fighter, you know? Like, I, I feel like a lot of people are kind of shitting on Izzy about that loss, you know? And you're like, mate, this is why this, fight. this is what this sport is built on, you know what I mean? This kind of shit. Guys going, like, he's fighting who? He's, he's going up where? Like, I want fighters to do cool shit. So I'm yeah. going to say, well done, Izzy, you know? It wasn't like it was a runaway fight, too. I mean, he stood up there with a guy who is much bigger, who's been KOing everybody with that left hook. Body shot to Reyes just totally destroyed his body with one body kick. I didn't see anything like that happen to Izzy in the fight. It was a close fight. Like, it was a really, like, you know, I thought it was a decisive enough win for Jan, but it wasn't like he killed the man. I mean, he went five rounds with a guy that much bigger than him. I think that's really commendable. So, yeah, I don't anybody shitting on Izzy. It's just like that classic thing of like fictionalizing sport. It's like, no, that's a real person who went in there and actually did something incredibly difficult. It's not just like a fictional TV series or something. It's like, no, that actually happened. This guy went in there, did a really tough fight. And you think about it in real world terms, he did really fucking well, you know? He's legitimately brilliant as well. That's what's annoying about it, you know? Oh, like, yeah. Legitimately an amazing, could be all-time great, in my opinion. And, Absolutely. Uh, that's what pisses me off about it. Hmm. Let me come back down to the comments. 
Whitaker beats Usman, in my opinion, says Jonathan Mercado. Ooh. Man, I, I'm picking against Robert Whitaker way too much these days. Obviously, he looked phenomenal in his last fight against Gastelum. I don't think that's the same version of Gastelum uh, from two years ago that was supposed to have a title shot, but he looked phenomenal. I feel like I never give Robert Whitaker enough credit for some reason, and I can't pinpoint it. I picked Jared Cannonier to beat him. I'm picking Izzy to beat him again. I mean, it's hard to pick against Izzy in this case. Um, and I I suspect he probably will end up waiting for that title shot, depending on who wins. I mean, Vittori could win it too. But he lost pretty handedly the first time as well against Izzy, so I have a hard time with that. I don't know. I just don't think... Whitaker used to be a 170-er, and of course he's bolted up for the weight class in the same way that Poirier did for, you know, 155 and made Max Holloway look really rail thin in comparison. So, I mean, to be fair, yeah, I give him that. But, man, I think I would take Usman if it was Whitaker. I think uh, if it was Usman versus Whitaker, I think I would take him to win that title. I could be totally wrong. They'd be roughly the same size as well, you know. Hmm. People are saying uh, Whitaker, or, or rather Wonderboy, could be a difficult fight for Usman. Man, I don't... So Wonderboy, I interviewed him. I had a, you know awesome time getting to know that dude. He was the coolest dude. You know, one of the coolest people I've ever met in MMA, period. Just a really nice down-to-earth guy. That would make you think I'd be biased towards him, but man, I just... I don't think I could take him in the Usman fight. I just... When he's got the knockout power that lately has been matching or at least rivaling, uh, rivaling what Woodley had. And then he's got better takedowns and more top game control. I don't see how Wonderboy would necessarily get around that. Not to say he couldn't, but on paper, it looks worse than I would say even the, the Woodley fight did uh, for both the Woodley fights. So I don't know. What do you think? Yeah, I, I think... Um... Look, I understand why it would be an interesting fight for the same reasons that it was really against Tyron because of that, if he can keep him at range and stuff like that. But Usman's ability to cover distance in those last two Usman fights and in the, I mean, sorry, last two Masvidal fights and in the Gilbert fight is mm. unbelievable. Like he, he covers a lot of ground. He can go from kicking range to, to grappling range very, very quickly. And he also puts on a phenomenal pace. So you'll see a lot of people at Wonderboy, like they need, when they're fighting Wonderboy, they need to get hypnotized. And they actually, they end up staying where he wants them to stay because that's how great he is of a striker. But mm. I think Usman's too cute for that. I, I honestly think, and I think now, <laughs> now, he's, now he's with Whitman, right? Now he's with Whitman too. Oh, guy man. Who, I think that's the difference, right? Yeah, but I mean, he specializes in, in keeping people at the end of Rose's range and, and keeping mm. people at a certain range for Gaethje's kicks. So when you're working with a guy who has that kind of knowledge, I, look, I think you can put Usman against any 170 year and we're not going to pick anyone but Usman. Like, yeah. he just looks too good right now. Yeah. Um, for me, you can't intelligently pick anyone over Usman right now. What about Wonderboy versus Whitaker too? If he were to go up, would Wonderboy still have the edge? I don't like Wonderboy going up. Yeah, yeah. I, I think... He, He's perfect for 170. I don't actually range. like him going up either. It's just more of a hypothetical. Like, has Whitaker, has his game improved that much to where he'd actually win this time? You know? I think at 185, I'd pick Whitaker. Yeah. The size is too much on his side. I mean, he's obviously improved leaps and bounds since they first fought for sure. He also knows how much he can expend himself with that weight on. You know, just the experience of having that extra weight is a big deal as well. Like, knowing when to push yourself, knowing Mm. when, okay, I need to ease off for a second or else I'm going to be toasted for the fourth and fifth round. 
I just yeah. I just think that's the edge you'd have to give him. Yeah, Wonder Boy would be pretty small in there. I think I would probably go with Whitaker there too. Fun fun thing to think about. People are saying Wonder Boy's a one seventy. Yes, it's a fantasy matchup, is what it is. Johnny Wait, Smith. Well, oh my god. Oh my god, really? <laughs> Thanks for telling us. <laughs> that's hilarious. Um, Johnny Smith, how did Reyes get KO'd? I simply would have dodged it. <laughs> <laughs> Johnny Smith, that's hilarious. Um, yeah, who knows, you know? It, it reminds me there was um who was it that asked? They asked a fighter at like a random press conference, is like, how come you didn't dodge that punch? They literally asked him that at a press conference like five, six years ago or something like that. Probably. And you're just like, really? <laughs> really it's like well obviously oh it was robbie lawler when he got knocked out by tyron woodley they were like so how come you didn't uh move out of the way of that punch <laughs> and robbie lawler handled it like a champ he was just like um well obviously i didn't see it coming <laughs> it's like <laughs> duh. Well, play, i've literally never been as terrified interviewing someone as in my life as i was interviewing Ror, uh, robbie before the rory fight rory like, mcrobbie I mean, yeah, I, I was frightened by him. Like I can remember being like, "This is this is terrifying." He has black eyes, man. This is like, and he hates doing media, and he's just staring at you as if to say, "Like, hurry the fuck up!" And you're like, "Mate, I'm sorry." First of all, I just want to apologize. <laughs> Second of all, have a great day. That's the end of the interview. <laughs> I would take your soul, he says. Oh, you can see it. You can, uh, like. I mean, I was this close to him, like uh, in striking range. We'll say. And I often think about Oof. that, like those Oof. dead eyes just looking at you, coming forward, probably covered in blood, and you going, I'm going to have to kill this guy. Mm. I'm going to have to kill this guy. Fifth round Robbie Lawler, especially back then when he was saying that comment too, man. Like, it was real. Um, Let's see. My bad, geez. I meant that he's a true 170-pound body type, perfect size for the weight class. Okay, I got you, Zach. I was just We're like, taking the fear, Zach. We're do you think you're correcting us? <laughs> you know us. Yeah, yeah, you're good. You're good. Um, how can Reyes look so bad but so good? So that's a good question from Kieran. Um, yeah, man, because I thought he looked amazing in that fight. I thought he was getting hit a lot, but I thought, I mean, he could have finished just about any other light heavyweight, and he has done that in the past. I mean, he's got that left hand. Uh, we've seen it against guys like OSP, for instance, fifth round, tired as hell. He landed one big shot, and that was enough to... Uh, I believe they actually ended up overturning that to a TKO because it was initially just a decision, and I believe they actually overturned that. Somebody can double-check me on that. But, I mean, he basically KO'd the guy the absolute last second of the round, five-round fight, UFC 229. A lot of people forget about that fight. Guy's got some power. And uh, Yuri, yeah, man. That's what we were talking about earlier. You get rocks like that over and over again, Eventually, that chin's going to get cracked, and it's not coming back either. So I, I think a part of him was actually completely demoralized by the fact that he wasn't hurting Oof. Yuri. You Oof. know, like the fact, like I'm sure he was like, I've hit this guy with my best shots, and here he comes like a fucking freight train again. Mm. And I think after a while, like when you when you have landed your best stuff, when you know in your head, like man, I've cracked this guy clean so many times, and he is just still here. I think that really fucks with people. You know, again, I can only imagine, but that's why I got the impression of there because I was watching it going, man, this hasn't affected Yuri at all. Like, yeah. and, and look, as we said, that can't last forever. But in that moment, 
I was like, this is not affecting him. And I think that really would grate on you uh, if you were in Reyes' situation there. What a weird guy. Oh, yeah. wait, what? <laughs> is that a fresh take? No one's thought yes. that yet? I love his fucking hair, man. What the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Like, he clearly just thought of this one day. Like, someone didn't come along and was like, here, Yuri, you have this concept where we shave your whole head and just leave a few dreadlocks here. Like, he was like, this is going to look badass. And you know what? It fucking does. It looks amazing. <laughs> oh, boy. I certainly couldn't pull it off, but I think it's the perfect haircut for Yuri Prohaska. You know, we need to test that theory. I want to see you with that fucking man bun thing or whatever. Lightning I'll rod man bun. If I shave my head, I'd be afraid I'd never grow back, Jay. At this stage, I'm my tender age. <laughs> tender age of 34? What is it? Three. Three. 33. There you go, man. Well, Same uh, age as Christ when he was put on the cross. Wait, what? Same age as Christ when they put oh him to death. Oh, my God. It's a true uh, story. Hey, man, you've had just as big an impact as well. Um, yeah, oh, yeah. When you see the book coming out post-mortem. <laughs> <laughs> uh, holy shit, dude. Well, uh, I think we're about to wrap it up here. Might take one or two more comments. Let's see. Uh, McGregor with a proper 12 has to stay at Welter and move up again uh, as age and whiskey hits. Well, of course, he sold it now, right? So he got $600 million out of that deal. That's from Bruce Vile. Just to cap them on because he still seems to be fairly actively promoting it on social media, right? Yeah, he must have some sort of... Like, maybe he didn't sell all the shares, but I thought he did. Maybe it's part of the deal. It's like, oh, we'll pay $600 million if you keep promoting it for... X amount of time, you know, who knows? Like a contractually obligated thing. Um, thoughts on Izzy and Eugene Behrman saying Whitaker denied the opportunity and now he needs to go back in line. Ah, come on. I don't like, believe I mean, that. Did they say that? Well, did they try to get him to fill in like last minute? Is that what it was? Yeah, yeah. They, oh, he was offered it at an, in, like incredibly close to his last fight. There was no way he was going to accept it. Yeah, like I understand that Izzy Izzy wants to fight, but now I know Eugene has said this before the loss to Yan, so I don't mm. know if this comment is since then. If it is fair enough, I don't really believe that myself. I think that you know Whitaker has lost twice basically in one fight to Izzy. I think he deserves a full camp if he's going to prepare and fight Izzy again. Mm. And um, yeah, it, like I mean, that's making me feel like if they've said that now. When, since the Vittori fight has been signed, that's making me think they don't want to fight him. And that's yeah. giving me a reason to want to watch that fight all of a sudden. <laughs> yeah, like, I mean, it, I don't think anybody can doubt Whitaker's resolve. <laughs> you know, like, I think he's good to go there. Like, I think the guy is confident. I think he is going to go into that fight thinking he can win it. I think he knows what he did wrong. I mean, he was obviously way too aggressive in the first fight. Lesson learned. I think he's going to go back into it with all the confidence in the world. Um, like he looked in his last fight, he's clearly a better version than the first time he fought Izzy. And who knows? Maybe he'll get stopped even quicker, and Izzy's just that much better too. But there's no doubting that Whitaker is a better version of himself. I doubt there's any... Uh, there's no part of me that thinks that he didn't want the fight. It's just, you know... The circumstances just weren't right, right? Wouldn't you say? Yeah. He wants oh. to put the best account of himself forward, and there's no way he could have done that directly after his fight with Gaslam. Mm. Yeah. 
Will um De Ritter be the first triple champ? Says El Laliette. Um, maybe. You know, uh, does he have if, to be? Well, I mean, I guess it would be going up to heavyweight, right? So, so just three Vera? different fights of the same dude. Oh, Vera is the champ. Sorry. Oh, Vera beat. Okay. Um, Vera lost that fight, though. Did he? Um, let's go to Brandon Vera. Why was that not a title fight then? He did. Yeah, oh, he went down to light heavy. That's what it was. Yeah. It, he went down. That's why. So he was fighting for the light heavyweight championship. Because so like, he's still the heavyweight champ. He's still the heavyweight champ. Um, I mean, so here's the thing. <laughs> Obviously, this is like the last question. We'll kind of end with this one, but there is a lot to unpack there. Everybody who looks into this stuff is super skeptical of what's going on with the weight cutting practices. Oh, and one. Like, terrific. obviously that could turn into a whole big, long conversation, but how does De Ritter, if he's going to bulk up to go up that high, to go up to heavyweight, then make it back down to fucking middleweight and still pass hydration tests. That's the whole issue with it. That's why people are so skeptical. It's like, um, I don't think so in terms of reality maybe maybe it will be billed that way i i don't know i don't know what the fuck is going on what i want to do is i want to uh, like i would love to do a piece about this i want to get on the phone with uh andy foster or mike mazuli you know uh who runs the independent commission that does usually for bellator or something like that i want to see one of those guys show up at a one event and be like oh yeah this is all good to go or holy shit, something's wrong here because it's so closed door. It doesn't make any sense. And yes, I know that Marais has fought at, you know, 125 in the past before they moved it to 135 in one, but he looked massive going up against DJ. It just didn't make sense for, for Vera to go down to 205. What is their version of 205? Is it 225? So, I mean, to be fair, they give him a bit of leeway, but still, even coming down from 235, 245, wherever he's coming down from, it just doesn't add up. And so it does make me go down that whole rabbit hole of it just doesn't really make sense. So, yeah, he might you might be able to bill it as triple champ, but until the system is verified, I'm extremely skeptical like the rest of the MMA world is right now if you're paying attention to it. It just doesn't make a whole lot of sense. So for... Rainier de Ritter to go up and then somehow go back down to middleweight. He certainly won't be all three simultaneously if the weight cut system is true at all. So sorry, good. Yeah, like this is the thing. Like me and you are fucking crackheads when it comes to MMA, and we still can't get our head around this kind of shit. Like you know, we. This is why I felt like those broadcasts should have been dedicated to explaining to people the difference between this and the product that they usually watch. Mm. Because if we're only finding out in real time, it makes things really confusing. And we still don't know the answers to these questions. Like, yeah. you know, people are covering this sport. I have so many questions when it comes to one. I just feel like that it would have been better time served in that new broadcast spot with TNT explaining why this is different. Why is this unique? While also trying to explain to people who have been watching it for the goods of a decade going, I don't know what's going on here. I mean, all we want is just some basic verification. 
just something, yeah. you know, and that's the issue. So I think everybody's happy that Eddie Alvarez got his decision overturned, exactly what you were talking about with the disqualification. And so now it's a no contest. I think everybody's happy with that. The only issue is the process by which it happened and what kind of rules are being done. There's been all kinds of sketchy decisions overturned in the past that seem to just kind of favor champions and stars for the sake of favoring champions and stars. That's not really good enough. You know what I mean? There, there, it can't be arbitrary. There has to be a real set of rules that make sense. And, you know, I love the old days of the UFC when Soccer Raba fought Conan Silvera, and it was a really bad call by John McCarthy. So they just had him fight again the same night, and Soccer Raba destroyed him, got an arm bar in the first round. You know, I love that. But there needs to be a system and a process which appears to be a bit more fair because from the outside it's just – there's a lot of red flags that come to mind with one. They got 70 billion viewers watching every card. That's the joke that's made every time because they do make ridiculous claims that are unsubstantiated. And uh, their ratings have been decent on TNT, but we're talking about 340,000 viewers. It's not the, oh my God, look how big one is. It's like, no, that seems about right. <laughs> you know, like That's about well, it. Was like, you know? I was actually um, approached to interview... Um, Chattery at the International Web Summit mm. and I, I went into a meeting to meet the organizers and they were like well what would you want to ask them about and I was like well the real things we need to answer is to and they were like yeah don't bring that guy back wow <laughs> they grill him as soon as I get on the stage what the fuck is going on with these weight cuts where's your money coming from <laughs> <laughs> seriously though man like look up John Nash hey not the face on Twitter Look up his breakdowns of their finances, and it is astounding. It looks like WeWork. There's literally a documentary about WeWork that just went up on Hulu in the States. I'm not sure where else it is in the UK or anything like that, but just about funding losses for such a long amount of time. No actual money appears to be being made. It's just losses and losses and losses being funded by outside investors somehow. It's very confusing. It doesn't make any sense. And we have nothing but questions. And uh, you want that, you know? I love the idea of Eddie Alvarez, DJ, Sage Northcutt, fucking, what's her name? Colby Northcutt? Yeah. <laughs> like, I love the idea of these people having competition, going out there and finding the best contracts outside of the UFC. Because I think competition is very healthy. I think it's good for the sport. And more importantly for these athletes to be able to push up their value and go into negotiation wars like what Dan Henderson did when he beat Michael Bisbee and KO'd him at UFC 100, 100 the best one of the best knockouts actually my favorite probably punch knockout ever and then just went to strike force he was the number one contender just went off to strike force got a massive contract and then obviously didn't do do too well against Jake Shields but still did really well light heavyweight uh, and then uh, beating Fedor, you know, having all these legendary performances. I love that. I think that's incredible. So I want that. I just want one to, I don't know, be a little bit more transparent because it doesn't, not all appears to be right <laughs> in La La yeah. Not all appears just to be that, right. Just that you mentioned it there, Jay, um, we've referred to the class action lawsuit a number of times on this live chat. Um, John Nash has put up yes. pain out the face. Yes. He's put up a great 10-minute explainer uh, that could explain it way better than I can anyway in 10 minutes. And I watched it myself. Really, really informative. Just so you understand where that situation is in with the fighters. Um, 
and their class action lawsuit against the UFC and what could potentially come of it and what's most likely to uh, be the situation, how it unfolds. So it, I think that's really great. He does brilliant work and very unique. Amazing stuff. No, no one has that guy's beat, right? Like he's just, that is his shit and he's unbelievable. Yeah. And we haven't even talked about the UFC, you know, going public. I, I can't wait to get his take on that how that's going to change things. Hopefully that means there's a bit more transparency with pay-per-view buys and all these sorts of things. I'm really interested. So yeah, I I don't think we can highly recommend him enough. Um, All day Auger, um, Patrick Auger, it's spelled like auger. He also talks about it on the the body lock, massive shout outs to people that dig into the finances of these things. And hopefully we'll get more of a picture and hopefully some more transparency just as much as we're criticizing one, I hope we start to see some of that more on the UFC side now that they're public and they have to start presenting this at investor meetings and things like that that they didn't traditionally have to do until right now, you know? It also gives the media and the fans a lot more power in terms of the UFC if it's gone public because when they see people saying, why aren't you giving John Jones this fight against Francis Ngannou, which everyone should be saying, <laughs> they then the, the, the shareholders are going to be like, why aren't we doing this? Why aren't we doing this? They have to react to what's being put out there, what the fans are saying, what the media are saying. So, you know, that affects stocks, basically. So that's that's why that's interesting to me. John Jones versus Francis Ngannou. I haven't heard about that one. Wow. Well, uh, well, you know, we'll look into it. We'll look into it. Well, guys, I think we're going to go ahead and wrap it up. Really appreciate you guys joining us today. Had a blast. It was really tough doing it out with, without Lawton. Lawton, we miss you. Hopefully uh, we'll have you back next week. Good luck to your family, and I hope they get well soon and that you don't get COVID. I'm getting my second shot tomorrow with Pfizer. Hopefully I don't have a lot of uh, symptoms for that one. But really appreciate you guys. This is a ton of fun. Another big up to Venom for supporting us, supporting this channel. They're the official partner of the UFC, doing their clothing and whatnot. They've been amazing. Really like those guys. Save 10%. You're going to buy their stuff anyway, so might as well use their code. So go for it. Um, but appreciate you guys. We're going to go ahead and wrap things up. We will see you, I guess on the next video. So we got the composer's corner tonight and then we'll have another video coming out tomorrow on the main channel. So peace out everybody. Peace.